podcast. I'm Genesee Gray. I'm starting a series, and this is the first in several episodes that are going to be talking about game development and the mental health ramifications of launching a game. Going to be speaking to game developers from Indie to AAA, all of which have different experiences and perspectives on this. Um, the first person I'm going to speak to, I'm very excited to introduce to you. Uh, ironically, this is the 25th anniversary of Doom this week, and uh, I'm very lucky to speak to Dave about that. We're going to jump right into that episode. Um, we had some rambling conversations about a number of topics, but we will return to the main point of it. So hopefully you enjoy this as much as I have, and stay tuned for the other episodes in this series, speaking to different game developers on their perspectives. Okay. All right. So uh, how would you like me to introduce you? Because I just say producer David Taylor, because you have so many things you're working on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To answer your question, just Dave Taylor, I'm a mess. Uh, (laughs) So I've done, uh, started off programming. Um, and then did a lot of biz dev stuff, did some teaching, um, um, producing type stuff, uh, and then programming again, and did some representation for a while. Uh, so I'm kind of slutty and broken. And then, and then I, uh, I checked out of uh, games. I've checked out of games a couple times. One to work on um, a processor hardware. It was a competitor for Intel uh, that did low power parts. Okay. And um, I've checked out again recently, um, but I've checked out a few times over my career um, just to do other weird tech shit. Um, I'm currently working on this sort of audio AI adventure. Yeah, uh, I, I was. Which, I listened to the interview that you sent me and I've been researching you as well. So this advanced AI... Okay. Definitely interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it just, um, it, it depends. I, I, I've I bounced around. I also used to throw these fancy pants uh, parties uh, for the game industry. <laughs> I read it's that really, too. We've really one of my proudest achievements. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have so many things I would love to talk to you about that yeah. I could fill three shows with it. And okay. it's, it's painful for me to break this down into one oh, subject. Oh, that's a good, that's a good sign. It's a good sign. Yeah, no, no, honestly. Because what I do, I work in publishing right now uh, and we publish okay. indie, indie games. And one of the things I'm in charge of is event coordination. And one of my mm-hmm. philosophies is to make this different kinds of events where you actually interact with people and don't stand in a room with screaming music and loud yeah, yeah. drinks. And I was listening to some of that aspect on another show that you were on going, oh man, I would love to spend five yeah. minutes picking your brain on that. But that's not the yeah. show I'm doing today. Yeah, yeah. Another show. Another show. Another yes. time. Okay. I'm glad you. I'm glad you take that seriously. Yeah. Because uh, now I'm like, I don't know. I want to talk to her too. Yeah, good. Good. Uh, awesome. Well, because I'm, I'm working have... on a much more ambitious version of that now. Really. And the, another subject we should talk about is girl. Uh, we need to. <laughs> awesome. We need to do. We need to talk parties some other time. Yes, we do. Uh, Okay, so I'm just going to use your descriptor that you just gave me for what you do and just say producer with a capital P, Dave Taylor. Okay. Um, now, people know you. You've worked with John Carmack, Mike Wilson, American McGee, all the giants in the industry. You're one of the giants in the industry, too. So interestingly enough, I have had all of them except for John Carmack on my show. And cool. I would like to say that I'm I am responsible for American McGee deciding to Alice returns and reconciling with some of his past. He will probably not admit it, 
but episode 94 he was on the show and i was saying you need to make another one but ea but make another one so uh so that's my one like accomplishment for the show is to say well done well done <laughs> he uh he responds to media attention so oh. i think you uh you made the right call well, i love there. alice and i said it needs to be another one i mean so many people yeah, do. yeah no there's tons of people love alice yeah. so he's got some interesting uh fashion um scenarios yeah he does right yeah now. he does i follow i follow that he's yeah. uh he's Versus. he's never he's never lacked for good taste um in uh in style good. um and he actually taught me so when we were working together at uh carbon six he uh basically is independent producers um he taught he really drove home the importance of strong concept art hmm. and uh strong high concepts um he was just a badass of both of these he came up with great names great high concepts great art direction and all all three of those things are so great for pitching projects um it just makes pitching projects just so much easier and um yeah i really took that to heart and i took uh concept art really seriously after that mm. and do you have talent in that area because you produce, you code a bunch of like jack of all trades stuff. Are you artistic too? Uh, I I I like to write uh, mm. I, I, a lot, um, but I uh, I have very little skill as a as an artist. I, enough that I can sketch a composition from a per, certain perspective to indicate the okay. composition. Okay, you're doing level thinking. design in some of this, right? Like I'm sure you're you're sketching out, you know. Um, no, more like, um, as an example, like I'll, I'll typically sketch like walkthroughs, right? So, mm. uh, an experience walkthrough, or I'll sketch like what I'm thinking for, um, a, a user interface presentation, right? So m my last round of sketching was, uh, for uh, some hardware design. <laughs> I wonder if it's still sitting here. Um, here you go. Here's <laughs> my last sketch. Desk. Yeah, um, all right, so I, I'm currently working on this uh, uh, this uh, custom gizmo. Ooh. It's got some, uh, it's got six microphones in it. Okay. And uh, so my, that's a 3D printed case for it. Okay. Um, what is this hexagon? So it's, it's a microphone or what is it for? Yeah, so this current adventure I'm banging on, it's basically this audio system that's, um, it's at a chemical reality smash, and they had this theory that if you are more empathetic to your customers, they will like you more, right? <laughs> Is this a theory? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it's kind of a soft pitch in business, like, just as be more empathetic, they're like, really, go hug a tree, fuck off. Oh, you know? real? Okay. Uh, but, they, but they really made the case, like, this turns into money, right? And then they started talking about this to um, um, hospitality and restaurant folks who came from that world, um, and they were like, "Oh, we want, we want," because uh, it's the key to like, um, what do they call it, service recovery, which hmm. is where someone's been super fucking pissed off, they're about to do one star Yelp review, and somebody is like, "Oh no, 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 we're so sorry, we've comped the room. There's a champagne waiting for you." Or whatever they do, they do the magic. Right. And you're like, you know what? You're fucking cool. Here's the five star. Yeah. You lost. You know, that's service recovery. When you put, when you pull that shit out of the flames. Okay. And like, they're uh, 
uh, they're like, hey, I'm a fucking, ha- I'm a customer for life now, you know, or just, <laughs> or just like, uh, at least I'm not ready to sue or whatever. Um, so it turns out empathy is the big key to that. It's much more effective than giving them free shit. Is just to really listen, to really feel their hurt and suffering, because people pick up on that on the subconscious level. Anyway, um, so our theory was like, let's record people's interactions at businesses, uh, oh, put it through okay. an AI, train an AI to understand what empathy sounds like, and then find out if people are being dickheads to each other or being really nice, right? Yeah. And then just flag it, like, hey, you're being super cool, or you're kind of holding court, why don't you let Genesis talk, or whatever. But um, <laughs> so... Uh, this was an idea for a, I don't know if you can see that, this is an idea for a case design where I had this idea for a foam-lined microphone hole okay. um, so that it would absorb uh, sound as it's coming in so that we don't get reflections. And here's a side view. So, okay. you know, if I need to diagram something, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can go about that far. And See, then, what then, I love about this is that instead of using like a blue ball with a 360 radius, you're like, I want to design my own mic that's better. This is clearly <laughs> engineering thinking. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm always fascinated by solving problems with lazy ways to do it. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sure that's also what, something you can what then technology is all about, right? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. So. So we know, I was going to, my first question is usually what's new with you, but now we know. We know what's new. Yeah, that's the latest adventure, and we're current, I'm banging on that still, and then we're um, currently raising money to, um, we're doing a lot, of, a lot of things, but raising money to, to do a buff up on a popular VR arcade game called Sweet Escape, um, which is, uh, you basically, there's these massive climbing gyms made out of like, candy canes and cookies and cupcakes and shit like that. And you're grabbing onto them, you're just sort of climbing up, right? And you can really throw yourself, right, to the next cupcake or, you know, grab onto the Are Oreo you saying cookie. this is actually integrated with the climbing gym or this is just you moving your hand in a direction to go upward? No, you're moving your hand, but what's trippy is that like, you're throwing yourself, right? So like, you grab onto a candy cane, right? This, this is a big fucking candy cane, this is like, you know. Okay water main size, right? So you <laughs> grab the candy cane and so it's grabbable. And then you fling it down and release, right? Yeah. And then what that does is that throws you oh. up, up, up and away to the next cookie or whatever you're about to grab. And then you grab it uh, and then you fling yourself out to the next thing. And you can do this with two hands oh, or whatever. Oh man. Yeah, or you can do, or you can do this, right? Okay. If you're if you're if you're nervous about flinging, but the badasses are flingers, right? <laughs> um, and they they just like Luke, one of the guys at the company, is like the undisputed champion, and to watch him play is just insane. He just skips like half the level. It's the equivalent of the rocket jump. Play, yeah, right? it is. It is watch. It's like watching those rocket jump masters who can rocket jump and then 180 snipe with a, you know, yeah. uh, with a head kill, with a headshot, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. Uh, and you're like, oh. But you now know. in real life. And now in real life. Anyway, so that, that's the other thing we're doing is, is trying to put together the money case for that. Um, okay. That's going that's going pretty well. Yeah, well, you've been involved in VR since, like, Oculus was purchased at this point, weren't you? I mean, you just did yeah. demos and everything. Yeah, a little bit before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's when it got all really exciting. Uh, I wasn't so much into the DK1. That didn't interest me. But when I started seeing the Crescent Bay prototype, I was like, oh, God. You know, and I, 
I had a friend who was doing these amazing 3D body scans and he just wrote me into this last minute thing with this unbelievably badass visual effects artist named Scott Metzger to work on this crazy last minute thing and this unbelievable uh, director who everybody's gonna know his name someday, but it's David Carlack. And he we basically did this um, frozen moment from a sci-fi film he's working on called Rise. And, um, you know, it was just all the most badass VFX stuff at the time, uh, just baked the shit out of everything so that, you know, it had to be a frozen moment. Uh, but it really gave us a taste for like, oh my God, this is what's possible with VR uh, real soon now, you know? Yeah. It isn't moving now, but you know, how much work will it take until all this shit's moving and interactive and stuff? Yeah. Uh, That's what really drove it home to me. Like, this could look amazing and right soon. Yeah, I enjoy it. Um, just like Until You Fall is one of the games I've been playing lately. Um, it's it's kind of a you have swords in your hand. There's sort of lightsabers, and you fight your you know bag robot alien guys. But it's fun, like for actual physical activity. If you're stuck inside, you can't go anywhere. Yeah, you yeah. Know, boxing, all that stuff is kind of neat. Um, to see that, yeah. I can't play things like Arizona Sunshine because they're too scary. Like the aliens are seven feet tall and they're very scary coming at you. I feel too that has nothing. That is scary shit. That's nothing for me. <laughs> it's like, do not want Resident Evil VR. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Somebody else can go be scared. I'm going <laughs> to have a good time here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm, everyone in life asks you about Doom and Quake. And, you know, quintessential, pivotal game in many people's lives. Um, you know, extreme, obviously important, but I want to kind of contextualize that in, in the focus of what we're going to talk about today, because my experience working with indie developers and other kinds of developers is that one of the things that's not really addressed is when a game goes to launch and the emotional ramifications of that, how that, you know, affects real people, the reactions, whether good, bad, um, you know, financially, prosperous or not, and, and kind of how all those factors affect developers as people. So you, having Doom and Quake, I'm sure have a very unique perspective on launching a game back in the days when, you know, being a, a game developer wasn't a choice as a career because that wasn't even like an option people understood um, that you could pursue. So obviously everyone knows the, the public, you know, side of like their reactions, but for you, as a person, when Doom comes out, and my assumption, fair, fair or not, maybe Doom is your first game. Is this so? The first game to launch? First, first commercial game. Okay. So, yeah. how was this for you? You know, maybe talk a little bit about the process of how professional it was to make it. Are you in a garage? Are you in a real studio? And what what that's like to kind of lead up to the point where you're ready for code lock? For Doom? Yeah. Um, definitely not a garage. So, uh, yeah, the, we were on the top floor of this, I think, six-story six black cube of a building um, in uh, Suite 666, I believe, actually. Oh, I do. And um, we, um, it was just a pretty generic-looking office with, uh, with those horrible uh, tile ceiling things, you know what I'm talking about? Popcorn, yeah. Popcorn ceilings um, and the shitty super flush carpets that really love nothing more than to be stained permanently. Mm. 
by Snapple or Diet Coke. Um, so it was that kind of vibe, right? Um, but of course, the you know the shit that people were working on and could show that they were daily getting done was eye popping, right? So that 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 made it all the more shocking is that you're kind of walking through this POS kind of typical office space office, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, except for the depressing set of cubicles. We didn't have cubicles, we had uh, offices, but um, uh, but it had that vibe of just like generic office vibe. But yeah, the shit that was happening in there was fucking amazing. And it really just made it all the more obvious. Um, so leading up to code lock was really uh, so I, I was there only like the last two or three months of development and um, I like I said never shipped a commercial game so I was mostly really really scared and working my ass off just trying to stay not fired mm -hmm. right um, your expectations my... high because you're saying this work is amazing people know it's amazing Are, is the anticipation that this is going to be you know, well received and great yeah um, they we all knew it was something special right um, maybe Romero thought it would be as big as it was. Um, I, we all thought it'd be big, but, um, I don't think any of us expected it really to be as kind of like iconographic, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, not, not just, we, we knew it would push whatever this was. We didn't know it was a genre yet, but we knew it would push that. And because uh, they were called Duma likes for a while, right? <laughs> uh, and it's not like Doom was the first, right? You know, they'd done Wolfenstein 3D exactly the same game, um, sort of gameplay mechanics anyway. Um, and uh, and other folks had done uh, 3D games. It was just the that perfect blend of like fucking great frame rate, lots of monsters, great music, uh, perfect perfect theme, and and powerful art direction. Everything just came together, right? Um, and we we added land support, right? Which most people didn't. Um, and I think uh, it was just a deadly um, uh, a deadly cocktail, all all timed quite nicely. Um, but leading up to that was just kind of this for me anyway. Like it was my world was Carmack. He was essentially my boss, right? And so I was focused on what what we needed, right? And he would give me assignments essentially like, hey, you know, give me an auto map, give me a status bar, you know, get the sound integrated, you know, whatever. Uh, and some I just took on myself, like adding cheat codes or um, or doing the uh, Unix ports or, or stuff like that. Um, but uh, it was very kind of panicky, like, go, go, go. You know, the sexy 3D shit was there, but uh, all this spackle code uh, kind of needed needed doing and it was my first time programming in DOS, first time on a commercial game. Um, and you know, first time with the Wacom compiler. I, I was just like a fish out of water. Yeah. Is this and, why you're uh, passing out? Because I've read these stories about chalk outlines in you because you're yeah, just pushing this hard. Yeah. I'm not Or that's uh, you. I'm, that's just how you Yeah, are. so this is this is just me managing my glucose levels and sleep poorly, right? And um just ending up there, right? Um, it, thinking this will save me some time tomorrow morning coming in and I can just get right to work. Uh, <laughs> but then I would crawl into my 
chair and waste time anyway, right? Because it's I haven't had a good sleep, and so I'm hard, uh, you know what I'm saying. Yes, it's it's not a net win. I don't want to encourage it with others, uh, but uh, I think it was just partially that was a symptom of the panic, right? Like I'm falling behind, mm-hmm. falling behind, and if I sleep here on the floor, I can get right back to it, and then I haven't had a good night's sleep, and I'm still panicked. Yeah, it's a lot uh, of responsibility, so, you know, feeling like this is on you and you do what you can to kind of manage, manage your yeah, mind. Yeah, but it was also um, vanity, right? Like oh. wa- watching Carmack do, you know, essentially levitate in his chair the other day, <laughs> right? Um, and not knowing that he was so good, uh, you know, I, nobody told me, oh, by the way, here's the label. He comes with, you know, best coder in the game industry. It's just like, hey, this is the first coder in the game industry I've met. And uh, okay. and holy fuck, I'm bad compared to him. Okay. And so there was just this constant sense of like, how do I keep up with this shit, you know? And uh, and I, I think at first, the, my naivete to think I could keep up with him was really like helpful. It took me a long way. Uh, uh, it was panicky, I guess, but holy crap, I learned at a, an incredibly accelerated rate. And, and thinking, thinking I could do something that I probably couldn't do um, was the key to actually doing something along the way to that, which I probably wouldn't have done otherwise. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's best sometimes like, uh, not to know that it's impossible because then you exactly, it. exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, and um, and then for a while there, I pretended to understand what Carmack was saying to me, uh, <laughs> and uh, and then I was like, I'm not, I'm not keeping up, I'm not keeping up, and uh, about then. Uh, uh, abuse was doing really well, mm-hmm. and uh, and we were getting getting pretty well into Quake, and I just didn't like Quake. I gotta be honest. Yeah, I, you don't have I to like spo- it if you work on I it. I was spoiled by Doom. I was like, this is a fucking cool game, and uh, Quake just seemed like Doom but brown with fewer <laughs> monsters, right? <laughs> okay. And uh, I had a much longer development schedule, and uh, it was it was wearing me down. And I, I think. Uh, um, uh, I was getting excited by abuse taken off. Um, so that's, so that's, that's all happening at the same time or is there different? Yeah, that happened at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So Doom ships. And then uh, I asked, hey, guys, is it OK if I invest in my own game company? And they're like, yeah, sure. Just don't don't do a 3D game mm-hmm. and don't don't program for them. It's like, OK. So we did abuse, which is a 2D game. And I did not program for them. I was just the producer. and. Uh, uh, so I, I funded it, and I came down and cracked whip and helped with design on this and that, and sort of helped find it, um, oh. find you know, sort of bring the team together a little bit. So did you have uh, time to even process the launch of Doom before you're kind of leaping into all these other projects? Oh yeah, no, I mean I wallowed in it. I mean I uh, so I I, uh, I was the Unix geek coming into the company, right? Okay. So, for instance. Um, they didn't realize that because they were on these next step computers, they had these things called dot plan files and they could put whatever they wanted in them. And then someone could finger us and then see what our plan plan files say, right? The fingers, this little command line mm-hmm. program. And, uh, and that started this whole dot plan file thing. Once uh, uh, I think R- Romero and Carmack saw me posting on there, they're like, hey, I, we can post too. And Carmack was like, wait a minute, I'm not going to waste time like Dave does. I'm going to do something substantive in, in here. And he started writing these epic fucking technical <laughs> dump logs. And I was like, oh, this is great, right? Um, and 
and it, it really was kind of this early form of blogging, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he was doing a great technical blog. Uh, so I, I would bring uh, weird stuff like that in uh, culturally, I guess. Okay. Uh, I tried to get them turned on to a classic multiplayer game called uh, NetTrek, but the graphics were so lame looking um, that I couldn't convey why it's so awesome because it had these persistent user accounts and you could go up ranks and you could fly bigger ships and it was it was 16 players at once four teams of four and uh so complex and uh, i was like see where we can go with this yes. complex, right and that just wasn't in the dna of the company and the company was always like heavy metal simple right okay like, we're we're doing the act. We'll put our complexity in the action, not in, not in subtle strategic stuff. Right? Okay. Is this why so, you did work with the founder of Dota at one point? Did you not? Uh, I yeah, I, I did a, um, a, I, I represented him. Okay. Uh, one of the original uh, maintainers. Uh, there were a few of them that made the original Dota. Um, he he maintained it during some of its most popular and explosive growth. Um, and he went by Ice Frog. And uh, yeah, and that's an example of a much thinkier game. Yeah, right? I can see like what you're saying that that would eventually evolve into something like Dota. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess you're right. That's sort of a two two teams of five game. But um, uh, but yeah, even even Dota's not as advanced as this, frankly. Yeah? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's funny how... I'd say a better example would be EVE Online. Right? Okay. Uh, it's probably closer cousin to that. Wow, uh, that is very complex. Is much, much fancier than, than that. Anyway, I, I couldn't really, when I showed them these things, they weren't very compelling because, you know, they were doing all the fancy graphics and the stuff I was bringing was from this Unixy culture, right? Yeah, but you're like uh, a Linux guy too. I mean, it, you you probably are not quite as, all, as WYSIWYG. It's all much of a much yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. So I've always been a command line guy. So I uh, my my excuse me um, my preferred screen um, is you see my screen there. Yes. <laughs> Okay. This is this is my world, okay. right? I'm showing you my my illegal downloaded movies there. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this is this is where I and if I'm editing a file, uh, you know, I, you know, this is this is how I like to do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is uh, this is this is my world, um, and and it always programmed in that world and I will never <laughs> not program in that world um, and uh, I'm considered somewhat odd for it uh, in, in the game industry because uh, I use VI and I only on the command line I really hate GUI tools <laughs> so, I, so I'm actually kind of a unity badass now okay. um, but I, I use it the, I use the GUI part as little as possible. Okay. Well, right? Some I'm people really... have to read the matrix. I guess it's you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nice. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slam the brakes and squeak us back to the Doom release. Because for me, when games, yeah. when games come out, I'm usually on the front line 
the community aspect, the social aspect, the marketing aspect, the okay. the more like in your face, you know, actual. I went to some experience. of the I went to some of the things we did to promote Doom Two. Okay. That was much more, you know, <laughs> uh, Doom Doom was more like an indie shareware release, yeah. right? Was it instant, uh, like instantly popular, or is it one of those that kind of grew on people over several months? You, you pretty fucking fast. Okay. Uh, it was, in, I mean, the press was insane, uh, and everybody started playing it at work. It was that land support. It took over everybody's job. Oh, yeah, uh, I've it heard took that. over. Is this ninety two? Was it? Yeah. Uh, well, this it came out in ninety three, right? Yeah. Okay. So it took over everybody's office. Uh, at night, if they were lucky, or during the work hours, if they weren't, mm -hmm. it took over school labs. I've had friends say that they like practically failed courses because they absolutely were... it was a liability for a lot of folks. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it spelled doom. <laughs> well, you know, um, yeah, it's uh, it's partially why I have sort of this bittersweet relationship with ah. having worked on it. Right? Is that, and I think this is the peril of working on any game that's sufficiently successful mm -hmm. uh, is that you'll start to meet lots and lots of people that played your game, lots, right? And their eyes roll in the back of their head, they, oh my god, I loved it. And uh, the way they flatter you about your game is, oh my god, my GPA went and shot itself in the corner that semester, or I lost my girlfriend, or whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, great. Uh, you, you start to hear this enough and you're like, so did what displaced your GPA and your girlfriend really improve your life, right? Uh -huh. um, and I think for most people, no. I think it temporarily entertained them, but I think the richer life experience was in better grades and a better relationship with their significant other. Um, and it made me start to, it started me on a path towards questioning what money money motivates us to do. Mm -hmm. See, do you think, I mean, another option, another possibility is that, you know, for me and, and people I know, sometimes you've got this land game, you've got people that are connecting, you've got people that might be lonely that now have friends to play with. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of other positive things that come out of it, but a lot of people have trouble like talking about there, that because it's yeah. emotions, quote unquote, you know? No, and being a guy, I'm, you know, yeah. obviously not someone to discuss emotions with. Uh, so I, uh, I actively suppress them, right? So I, uh, have heard stories, lovely stories, about how people met their soulmates through uh, games, mm -hmm. right? Uh, including Doom and Quake. Um, I've, you know, I've seen uh, amazing degrees of dedication and stories of people like this changed my life and da da da. Um, but not on average. That's the thing is that oh, it's okay. really it's really easy to remember those stories because they're so heartwarming. And they're so unlike the other stories. Um, mostly it's just kind of overweight people <laughs> who've, who've, I mean, that's yeah. what happens when you sit on a chair for Aww. long enough. See, is this a genre and, thing? Because sometimes... No, it's kind of a, just a low impact sport thing. Like when, when your favorite thing to do is to sit at a computer. <laughs> I'm not talking about the heaviness, but I'm talking about the stories, uh, positive versus, oh. you know. Oh, no, I, no, I mean, it's, uh, look, 
it's real dangerous to to sample what what's happening as a result of your product by way of the compliments you're getting, right? Um, because that's already pre-filtered for the people that feel so strongly about it that they want to offer up a compliment, yeah, right? Yeah, the 5% that say something. Yeah. Um, and and you people keep the bad news away from you, right? Um, and a lot of people don't even see that it might have had a negative impact on them, right? Mm -hmm. They don't even see it as complicit. Like, sure, I got addicted to Doom back then and my, my grades suffered, but that's whatever. Um, yeah. That was my choice, right? Um, no, that's and, what breaks me heart, my heart because I hear that even today. Like, I'll be talking to people and they say, oh, I platinum this game again. And I'm like, you have a baby, you have friends, you have a life, yeah. you have, you know, a relationship, you have right. whatever. And there's a lot of people. I'm not thinking about one particular one, but it's like, really, that's your priority? Yeah. Yeah. So that's started to dawn on me over the years, right? But back then, back on Doom, I was mostly just like, I'm amazing and I've, I've got hormones. Okay. So this you did know? affect you, like, as in how you thought about yourself and like. Yeah. Well, the company had a real kind of strong whiff of testosterone in general, <laughs> mostly from like no. Romero's influence, right? Yeah, uh, I know, it's hard to believe. But, uh, <laughs> and it's, Brenda uh, changed everything. And Brenda changed everything. Uh, <laughs> so, no, it was, uh, it was, it was a treehouse atmosphere to me, right? It was us and them, right? And we are fucking badass, we're in the club, you're fucking, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, that was kind of, the, it was this clubby atmosphere. And, uh, I and some of that rubs off on you, right? That's not very much my vibe, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I'm very subject to peer pressure. <laughs> and I got sort of swept up in it, right? Well, that's uh, the era of like the big testosterone parties of all sorts of insanity, and you know, like the whole industry was had some inappropriate moments. Well, Mike, you've already interviewed Mike. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mike's life is an inappropriate moment, but it's a wild ride. Yeah, um, yeah. Mike's really the master of inappropriate parties. I have great respect <laughs> for his uh, his bravery. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so for me, it was it was just intense and crazy leading up to Code Lock and basically just get it out the door. But it was also crazy after that. Like I remember, so I, I was the one who suggested to Carmack, "Hey, let's use broadcast packets instead of using point to point. That way, we can go from an n squared thing where you have to go like in the start topology to all the other." knows you're talking to to just broadcasting a packet to everybody <laughs> right Ooh. and then that way you're only sending one packet per node and look at all the bandwidth you'll save right but that's me being a dummy because it turns out that uh at Carnegie Mellon they had they had this crazy bridge network with 6,000 nodes on it and each broadcast packet was being sent to all 6,000 PCs uh and even if they weren't listening for the broadcast packet it would create an IRQ request uh that to very briefly causes the processor to go, oh, I don't need this, this sort of way. And the problem is all it takes is a, you know, a few dozen games uh, for every computer on the entire Carnegie Mellon campus to be like, oh, no, throw it away. 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 Until they're all like chugging slow, even though they're not playing Doom, right? Um, and apparently the IT guy called up Carmack in the middle of the night and called him the Antichrist. Uh, <laughs> he, was, he was so mad at him. Uh, Were for, you, you know, able to fix this quickly? It sounds like a pretty... Complicated. No, no, it was a quick fix because it's how you'd written it before. Um, but it was my bad idea. So that, so that was an example of me thinking, oh, 
you look at this great value I'm bringing and it just just blew up in my face and and I was causing pain for John. And so that's when I started to realize when you really release something really big, uh, any kind of mistake or mm -hmm. like any kind of uh, thing you say might get really amplified or taken out of context or blown huge mm -hmm. or, you know, anything you do that might be stupid or hasn't gotten a lot of thought. Like, by the way, Dave, did you know that whenever you come up for cheat codes, it's going to be tattooed across so inside like this, right? You know, that's not something you're thinking when you're, or at least I wasn't thinking uh, when I was uh, coming up with stuff like that. So uh, there's a lot of stuff like that that I found very uh, paralyzing post-release, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where like you're kind of afraid you're, of your own shadow a little while after that. Um, and um, I, I was kind of eager to switch gears to abuse, I think, okay. uh, because it was the, the bigness of Doom and the heaviness of Quake uh, was just like suffocating to me. Um, but abuse is I, also successful, right? Um, you know, for us, it was a little, it was a little, you know, game and a little company. It was a genre that did, didn't, didn't, never historically did well on, on PC. Um, but, uh, but we released it on PC and we managed to cut a really good deal that made it good for us, you know, with our publisher. Um, and it became this big, you know, cult classic, right? But not in a money-making way, I'd say. Uh, okay. Uh, we made some money and we pocketed it, uh, some of it, and then we blew a chunk of it on a game that we didn't finish and fucked up uh, uh, called Golgotha. Um, and, but we, you know, had a proper adventure uh, yeah. with it. So how uh, is that difference then for you? Because you're coming out of Doom, super successful, having huge, all that, and you're coming to Abuse where... You know, were the expectations the same, or is it like obviously it's smaller game? No, no. I mean, I liked it. I immediately felt more comfortable, right? Okay. Uh, I immediately felt like, hey, this is a scale I understand. Um, this, this is this is better. But by the time I left, like I said, we were getting abuse royalties, right? So by the time I left, we were working on Golgotha, right? So that's where we were starting to go, and um, I, I really wanted to jump on that. Um, but then the way that affected me is that I wanted to do too much, too, too much high techy shit. Mm -hmm. Cause I was used to having a John Carmack on staff. Um, ah. yeah. And, um, and you know, we, we didn't have quite that Kung Fu or bandwidth and it just wasn't the same sort of flavor. Jonathan Clark was, he's a brilliant coder, uh, but he's not the same kind of coder. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think I was just pushing him in a bad, uh, in a bad direction, and uh, I discovered I, I quickly discovered my limitations. I'm not, or I, I discovered but didn't learn of my limitations of, as a manager, um, and uh, left that thinking, okay, well that screwed, I screwed that up, but uh, I'll get back on that horse again. Uh, probably shouldn't have, but uh, <laughs> uh, that that was an, that was early taste of learning that management's not so much my thing, so much as. Uh, uh, coding, putting putting biz deals together, uh, okay. you know these these other kinds of yeah the, the other multi talented <laughs> aspects you have to yourself. Um, <laughs> for this though, I mean, you're talking about abuse. For that game, did it feel different because you're actually like that's kind of your company. You're like 
you know, invest in that more than coming into something that's already there for ID software where, you know, you're part of a team, but it's not like you have actual finances on the line or, yeah. you know, does that feel different, you know, releasing a game where, or, or does your investment feel different? Like, you know, obviously literally, but, but emotionally when you kind of are part of the founder. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, so the, yeah, so originally when I came on to it, I was like, hey, can I get a taste of the equity here? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, that's something we'd like to talk about maybe six months after you've worked here and we'll see how we're getting along, right? And you're like, and I only have two I, to three before it launches. <laughs> yeah, where's that? Great. Um, and, but uh, I was talking about the company. Not oh, okay. Um, and, and they were super fucking generous with their cash bonuses anyway. I mean, they were they were crazy generous with the cash. Um, that's not something you see anymore, uh, but... Um, but they weren't really so much about monetizing on the equity like most people were. They were more about using equity for control. Um, and they would, their attitude was like, hey, look, the bank accounts are too full again. Let's send all this out to the employees and owners. And I was like, wow, this is great, you know. Uh, but m- most companies will, you know, the bank account will get too full and they'll buy another company or they'll mm-hmm. hire a fucking ton of people and they'll grow, grow bigger. But for quite a while there, they were quite happy staying small. Um, and uh, yeah, they would just occasionally hose down the employees with lots of money based off of whoever was kicking ass since, you know, since last they did it, right? And um, so people were really motivated to impress their boss, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to be a good boy. Um, and, and just the pace of things was amazing anyway. So you just kind of learned to keep up. Um, but I, I found it uh, just kind of depressing. Uh, I, I think mostly for reasons of vanity. I couldn't keep up with Carmack, and therefore I thought that reflected poorly on me. Mm. And, um, and so I was mopey about it, right? Um, and that made it worse. That made it was paralytic, right? Yeah. So so then I would, you know, dwell on it. I feel worse. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't help. Yeah. Um, and, and I, yeah, I, I, I find I need to, um, I don't know, be, be in the right, uh, in, environment to, uh, um, thrive. Okay. Right? Yeah. Some people uh, are the, t- the type that want someone to be brilliant and just being in the room with them is enough to make them feel good about themselves and other people yeah. want to contribute like more significantly. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I, you know, I've, uh. I, like, I'm super thankful for the experience. It's uh, been kick-ass for my career. It was an amazing thing to see from the inside. It almost, mm-hmm. you know, you can, say, you can say I was part of it, but I really Yeah, but well, come on. You're acting like, oh, man, I didn't do anything. I feel, Carmen, I feel so more like a, I feel more like a tourist, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but what a fucking tour, it right? Like, not. Yeah, like, that's not knock tourism. It's actually a lot of fun when you're in the middle of the fucking production <laughs> of Doom, right? Uh so I, uh, I, I love it. I love it for that. Uh, uh, but, you know, I was living in Mesquite, Texas. And okay, but you're how old at this point? I'm in my 20-nothings. I don't know. Okay. Just down there somewhere. Uh, just all stupid. Just concentrated <laughs> 20-nothing-year-old stupid. Uh, and, you know, all, all the lack of wisdom. You know what I mean? Not stupid. I guess I'm... Um, pretty bright, but it, but it, but st- stupid decision making machine. 
most, I mean, going into something for your first game, doing something that, you know, no one does for the first time, like that, you know, most people have sort of a progression where they come in. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's down. kind of serious. It's like, oh. Yeah, it's like, hello. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're the yeah, expert. Ta-da. Yeah, uh, it was exciting. And then I made sort of a fool of myself on IRC a few times. Uh, so I was very early and active in getting in touch with these these um, um, Doom modders, right? Yeah. So met met some really dear friends. yourself in what way? Uh, There's so many kid. ways, really. Yeah, when so, when so, you're talking to the community to make a fool of yourself, I've done many of them. Oh yeah. Um, so for instance, um, punching down. Okay. Right. So uh, I've still got some sort of residual mental scar on this, but basically some guy was talking smack about how his editor was so cool and those guys that did, they don't know what the fuck they're doing or something like that. It was basic, like entitled, mm -hmm. uh, I know better than those, uh, you know, young whippersnappers uh, who've made this little game. Um, and I just, you know, stepped on them just mm, right yeah like with the written word which i am unfortunately a little good at and uh and it was you know from the guy it did stepping on his yeah. little thing that he was just it was too much and i i didn't realize that there had been this transition of like i can't i can't say shit like that anymore right okay. Um, at least not for a while. Yeah. Not until I do enough disrespectful things. Until, <laughs> well, until, you know, yes. at that point, you you clearly have emotional attachment to your work, and you know the yeah. And, done. and like I said, it was in the air. It was very like we're in. We're yeah. cool. Well, people don't yeah. sometimes associate real people with the things that they love. That's one of the reasons I do the show. Like people make the things that you love, and you uh, you know, it's not a robot. So when yeah. you say something about it, you're going to actually affect real people that might read it. Yeah. So and yeah. I and I, I would play tough online because I was a fucking crybaby on the inside. <laughs> well, like yeah, the, the tiniest little hurtful thing, and I was like, Ooh. yeah. But then on the other side, this guy's super proud of what he did, and he wants attention, and he wants to be yeah. compared to the big boys. And there's always two sides to this. So it's you know that's one of the things that's tough, especially when you first launch a game, is that. You know, yeah. people have opinions and they're coming at you if you're out there to be yeah. it, to be interacted with. So, yeah. Oh, IRC. I love IRC. So many good memories. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so uh, okay. Okay. So there. Yeah, but is this part of your, you were kind of talking about, you know, finances maybe not meaning as much and the things that you make having like more of a positive impact and stuff like that. Is this one of those things where, you know, it might be a moment where you're like, hey, you know what, thinking along these lines and some of the things you're doing now, being affected by that idea? Yeah, I mean, it's been a journey, right? So I'll never forget this lunch I had with, uh, you know, its offer was like materialism central. Everybody was buying these fancy cars and stuff. And I'll never forget this lunch where Carmack was like, we were going around the table. Carmack was like, what would you do if you were handed a million bucks? And we were all looking at each other like, this is actually kind of likely. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, and people start going around the table. Well, I, I'd buy this and I'd buy that and I'd go buy this other thing. And 
and I gave that sort of office space Peter uh, answer of like, really? Because I think I would just pursue my dream of doing, doing nothing. nothing. I yeah. think it could be everything I think it could be. <laughs> yes. And uh, um, now what I mean by that, by nothing is actually quite active. And I didn't realize that my nothing is actually quite stimulating at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it would let me explore. It would mean I have no financial concerns and I can just try whatever I want. I can experiment. I can try things. Mm-hmm. Um, and being a little inventor scientist, right, that's not a tough sell for me. Uh, and that's what I would do with it. But of course, I didn't get to that part of the whole thing because I hadn't discussed the boat I want. I hadn't discussed the, the um, race car I was going to buy. Uh, it was just this sort of ephemeral, like, oh, just nothing, you know, uh, but it, not nothing, but it's, it didn't sound good. And, and that's when I realized I've, I've sort of shat in the airing cupboard here, and this is not polite. Uh, there's something culturally impolite about me implying that I would not spend money I was given, mm-hmm. um, which was weird. That was this mild vibe I got. And, uh, uh, and I don't think it was the right, <laughs> I don't think it was the right answer. Um, and, but, but then, uh, I started seeing immediately these massive differences in money that people were making off of very, you know, very small things like he showed up at the company earlier or he negotiated better or, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and not just at it, you know, I saw this everywhere. Yeah. Right? Um, and I, I started to realize this whole system is not rewarding what we wanted to reward. Yeah. Right. Money is a representation uh, of success. Yeah. And just, uh, um, it wasn't until I'd say a few years ago that I really kind of went back to first principles and asked what's money for. Um, and I finally realized, Oh, money is for solving the complex barter chain problem of like, um, of people trading goods in these complex uh, directed graphs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just too difficult for humans to comprehend. So we came up with this medium of exchange called money, which is much easier. And it's still kind of hard because people are reticent to balance their checkbooks and they're scared of it. It's so consequential depending on whether it's going up or down. So what do you think of gamification? Um, Because the rewards there are more things like badges or accolades or, you know, not financial, but like EPing in some ways. So that's modern gamification, right? Mm So 80s gamification would have a high score. That would be primitive dog shit gamification of like, here's your high score. And that basically reduced everybody's performance to a single number, mm. right? Does China. That sound, does that sound familiar? <laughs> yes, it right? does. Uh, fuck China. How about the US? It's wow. your net worth, right? That single number is your net worth. China has multiple numbers. They have a citizenship score mm. that's made up as an amalgam of multiple facets, right? We don't have that here. We have your net fucking worth. Yeah. And if it sucks ass, you can go die in a gutter, right? Um, And so we're still on the 80s high score system here in the US. Um, China is a little bit ahead of us. Um, And if we want to leapfrog them, um, my contention is that you get rid of money completely. Um, Because we figured out in games years ago 
that high scores aren't enough. They don't, not everybody can get the high score and it's not even a good rep representation of all the different skill sets you can get in a game, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when you map them down to the number. And so what are the, what's the likelihood that when you sell a good or service for a single number called the price that is actually representative of the actual formal value of that good or service, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's not. But it's we can't just trade pies. I mean, as much as I would like to make you an apple pie for your services today, Dave. Uh, we can't. Uh, however, a computer can now do that complex graph theory for us. A bit close. So, so this, this graph theory. So what there is someone nearby you who wants your pumpkin pie, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that is where it should be, go because that is the carbon sensible thing to do with it. We don't want to send the pie all the way to California for days. Okay, right? so I get a shoe uh, for my pie. and You get a shoe from your, maybe you don't get a shoe from your pie. Maybe you just give someone a pie who wants a pie, okay? Oh, socialism, okay. No, not socialism. Uh, this is this is what people think of you. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, socialism. Oh, it's some sort of bullshit utopia. I, I don't no, think socialism is terrible. I'm just no, no, no. I, I, uh, um, it's it's gamification. Okay, so right? how does this work? It's, it's, I have... it's MMOism. So here, here's how it works. Uh, so oh, I love that we're on a subject. So essentially, imagine you've got the uh, the AR glasses. Okay. Yes. Right, and. What you're using money for is to get shit you want, right? It's yeah. supposed to be this medium of exchange, right? So really what you want isn't money. What you want is rent at the place you're, what you want to do is continue living at the place you're living at, continue eating the food you like and buying the clothes you want to buy and whatever it is you want to do uh, with your life, right? Yes. Things you want to do. That's what you want. Um, so I happen to know you can make pie, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, as, as a part of this system designer, right? Um, so if I know that there's a demand, a local demand for pie from someone, and I look at him, and he has something you want, then we can solve the barter right there. But the odds are almost zero of that, right? right? Um, so odds are there's somebody somewhere else. Maybe he makes um, shoe strings. You have no use for shoe strings, but there's over here the bootmaker has use for boot, uh, shoe strings. Uh, the bootmaker takes the shoe strings. Um, oh, but you know what? You have need of the boots, right? Uh, and so now this three-way trade oh works. Oh my, right? this is complex, okay. This is complex. And you can see this getting completely out of control of like not just three people, but thousands right. of people, right? And this is what's actually happening with money right now. This is what money does, is it anonymizes everybody in the supply chain behind the transaction that you're at. So at the transaction you're at, you see 299, right? Mm -hmm. the, the truth of it is, oh, there's a little child labor and some lead paint sprinkled in there too, but... But it's just it's just two ninety nine from your perspective, right? Okay. Because it's a, it's a lossy information. Now in games, we know better. We know that you need a creepy Orwellian centralized server that keeps track of the world state, right? <laughs> Which sounds like a nightmare system, right? But we happen to know games are already more compelling than reality because we're getting people to spend time in them, even though it's bad for them, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's how fucking compelling they are, right? So frankly, we're better at this than money is, right? Uh, we're more addictive. We, we're already on some next level shit here, right? So if we can solve these directed graphs for those complex barter chains, and then all I have to do is when you put on, uh, I don't know what, you're, what, you, what you fancy, what motivates you. Uh, maybe it's interview guests, right? But if you put on uh, your AR glasses mm -hmm. um, and uh, you're uh, at your front door 
and you've got a choice left or right, where do I go? And right is going to take you uh, down the street to a restaurant where someone's waiting to be interviewed. He's a fucking badass guest and boy, just you wait, right? You don't even have to know that. All you have to specify in advance is I need fucking kick-ass interview guests, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and all you have to know at the time is, you know, my AR glasses are saying something cools off to the right here. Well, let's see what's going on, right? Okay. This is game design, right? Game design is making it compelling, like uh, it says go this way, and there's a clue that says I should go that way. Huh. I wonder I wonder where it's taking me. I wonder if there's well, I wonder who's on the other end. Well, of course, the same system is doing the same shit to the other guy who's like, Oh, my glasses are telling me to walk to this restaurant. I wonder what that's about. Now he's said, uh, boy, I want nothing more than to be uh, famous, and if only I could meet Genesee, right? Uh, so it's going to lead him to the uh, same restaurant, right? Um, so you can both, um, in, a, in feeling serendipitous, mm-hmm. end up meeting each other in a very arranged marriage, right? Um, and that is, the, that is the magic of great commerce. It's a matchmaking problem. It's a multiplayer matchmaking problem. Okay. Of, you've matched the supply to the demand. Uh, you need an interview guest. He wants to get famous and wants to meet you. Boom, right? Through and AR. And you could do that through AR. You could do it through cell phones. I just say AR because obviously you need some understanding of the positions and space of these people yes. so that they will meet physically, right? Okay. Um, but you can imagine doing it entirely within a game as well and saying, and just surfing the internet and saying, okay, what do I... What do I type now? Yeah. Right? So you would uh, still need a manager, shall we say Skynet, <laughs> Google, um, that would really have all... I, I would say a dungeon master. A dungeon uh, master, I, okay. And I think people make better dungeon masters than computers right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there would be a job for dungeon mastering people. Um, <gasps> to, you see what I'm saying? So yes. it's like, I could make your life so much fucking fun. Uh, you're grossly overweight and you won't admit it. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you on this, uh, you know, this crazy vegetable, uh, uh, you know, uh, scavenger hunt because I know you're addicted to scavenger hunts um, because I grew up with you, right? God damn it. And, and if I, and if I fill a scavenger hunt instead of with candy, I fill it with celery and carrots and really like badass gourmet vegan yeah. food. Uh, I can turn your life around, right? And I can make it fun instead of dismal uh, by explaining the things I know that you already love. And still uh, your choice. You're not forcing someone to do it. I'm not forcing someone. I'm saying that there's these special scavenger hunt prizes of uh, that you associate with this yummy memory in your childhood that are waiting for you. And the thing is, you're only going to trust it insofar as it delivers the goods for you, right? Right. Right. Uh, if your thing is fucking scavenger hunts, and boy, I'm giving you the best scavenger hunts you can get, um, and all you have to pay for it is eating vegan food, um, you know. This is already happening. This is Waze. This is Stitch Fix. This is everything else. This is Headspace. This is everything that you're getting in diverse areas that are exactly. already doing this. Exactly, but they're doing it piecemeal, right? Yes. Um, and then the problem is that there's always this shell of money. So money I see as an invasive gameplay mechanic. It, it wants to invade every game design and take it over. Uh, and eventually it will if you're not incredibly guarded about protecting against it. Um, so how and, do you pay the dungeon master? 
what is the dungeon master? He's just another recursive part of the whole thing. The dungeon master has his own wants, right? He wants his own dungeon master to have his own compelling life, right? So let's say a dungeon master can can dungeon master maybe five or six people before it's like, oh, that's too much bandwidth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe suddenly a fifth or a sixth of the population becomes dungeon masters. Maybe it's not even that many. Maybe not everybody gets a nice personalized dungeon master like that. Maybe some people mm-hmm. have a dungeon master handling 100 people. Maybe eventually, uh, especially in the cheap seats, um, we have AIs helping with sort of yeah. automated mastering or aspects of it, right? Um, but yeah, you, you basically, all you need to specify is, here's what I can do. Uh, here's what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, you match make the rest, please, right? Um, and make it fun and exciting and and satisfying because i've already told you what satisfies me i've already yeah. told you what turns me on right and the thing is good game designers good dungeon masters they can pace it they know pacing <laughs> right and capitalism isn't paced well it's like you get out <laughs> in the world and level one takes you like five years to get past and then level two is like maybe three years and then suddenly you you get successful and then you're like you wake up in the morning and you've gone through five levels, right? Uh, it's it's like why why are the advanced levels so simple uh, after you've hit this inflection point, right? Um, whereas most people never hit that inflection point; they just it's just this gruesome grind their whole lives, right? Yeah. Um, we recognize it in bad game design, but we seem unwilling to recognize that scalar money commerce is a really bad game design that we appear to be unwilling to admit that we can change, right? For me, one of the things about games that is significant is yeah. that when I was going through a really bad time mentally, I was completely obsessed with MMOs. I spent a lot of time playing. I spent a lot of time balancing my characters and raiding and being really good at it. Until one day I realized I have completely neglected my body and myself in favor of this character that i'm building and not investing in my real life game and that's kind of stupid since that's what i should be doing so i decided to basically like gamify my own life and level up so this is kind of cool but because it's like that and i could see that some people could really use a like unplug here's your life but it's fun and still yeah but the thing is you're one of the rare probably few who has the sort of meta awareness to understand, ah, my life is a game. Ah, I'm the game master of that game. <laughs> Let us gamify it, right? That that's that's a whole lot more like self-awareness than I think most people and discipline than most people have. I think most people need that kind of I think I'm one of them. I think I need sort of a kick in the ass from somebody else. Um, and uh, I think I think I think most people are like that. Okay, I'm going to re- redirect us because I can talk about this with you all day. But yeah. so money, we're talking about money, which is what le- led us onto this fun rabbit hole. So for people that launch a game, and and the the kind of mm, scope and you know lap, map landscape is so different now than it was when you're talking about you know the doom days, etc., where sure, money is yeah. tight. There's a flood in the market, so many choices. Someone launches a game, it doesn't do well financially. Hey, that means I'm bad, I failed, it's me. 
well, my America, idea is bad. In America, it means that. Yes. And so what do you, how do you recover? I mean, maybe you've had some bad games uh, that oh, might not have been financially successful. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. But, you know, when that happens and you're, you're you, what do you do? Um, I think we all react differently. Uh, I, uh, it for me, it depends on the situation, right? Yeah. So, or are you sitting on a like sweet pile of gold from doom? So it doesn't really matter. Uh, no, I, I live within, within very modest means. Uh, I've never been well motivated by money. Uh, I squandered my doom winnings quite quickly, <laughs> uh, squandered the abuse winnings, uh, squandered most of my winnings. Uh, I got some more winnings from Transmeta's IPO. I helped IPO uh, Transmeta way back. And uh, uh, that seems to be my pattern is I, and when I say squander, I don't mean like trips to Italy. Hmm. I mean, um, I live very modestly. So for me, squandering is, uh, you know, kicking my feet up and relaxing and, uh, was, I, I start to do the things I really enjoy doing, which yeah. is talking to other entrepreneurs. Oh my God, I love that. Uh, and finding out what they're doing, what they're trying to do. Um, coding on cool shit that I've never tried before. Right? This enriching yourself doesn't sound like squandering. But, but by American, but I wasn't getting patents. So I wasn't, oh. <laughs> I wasn't developing royalty streams. I wasn't selling a company. I see. You weren't building right? the empire. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah, you're supposed to be building empire, exactly. And uh, I, 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 I thought maybe I had that gene in me. I do not. Uh, I do not. I do not think. Um, and I found that the better I was at biz dev and negotiation, uh, generally the worse I liked myself. Um, that's the other thing is that I, it was an inverse relationship there. Okay. Uh, because you feel uh, like it was disingenuous or just not your So you? they've done some interesting studies on money um, where they've shown that just by handling it or thinking about it, uh, even briefly, uh, has a residual effect of making you more selfish uh, after, after you've touched uh, or thought about money. Um, and it affects little tiny things. Like uh, the way they did this study is that they would knock over some pencils after this talk, as if it had nothing to do with the test, but it was really the meat of the test. They knock over some pencils, and then they would see who stopped to help pick the pencils up. Mm -hmm. And if they were just handling money, they were more selfish. You can pick up the fucking pencils, right? Mm. I'm the I'm the money toucher, right? So this made perfect sense to me because the gameplay mechanic of money is beautifully elegantly simple, which is make more. And you spend. That's it. Mm -hmm. And as long as you stick to that, it works out great. <laughs> uh, as soon as you don't stick to that for very long, you're fucked. Um, Although you and, do want that really epic thing that costs so much that you can never get unless you grind forever. Yeah. Um, and But the, then we've got all this American dream mythical bullshit that makes you think, all I have to do is and then I'll, I'll get the bazillions and then, you know, we have these wild-eyed dream, mm -hmm. we have this wild-eyed dream culture, you know, um, dream of success culture. Um, and it's not realistic. It's not statistically prudent, right? Uh, uh, I can't remember where I was going with this, but essentially... Uh, so you uh, fail I, in a project. The goal is, for most people, is money. And yeah. the project does not make money. 
Yeah, I, like I, I find um, what I'll do is I'll make, I'm always shocked at how much money you can make as a coder. It's like, this is amazing. Yeah, you uh, guys are the golden geese of the industry. I'll you're the honest. golden geese, yeah. So I'll go out and code for somebody, make a pile of money or help with whatever biz dev or something, make a pile of money. And for me, a pile is like tens of thousands of dollars, right? <laughs> uh, and then I'll just burn money like nickels, like they're manhole covers for uh, for as long as I can stand it. Because uh, freedom, uh -huh. right? Uh, and that's where I meet all these people on these wonderful adventures doing uh, cool shit. Um, and I, I think I, I'm just fast. I'm fascinated by people and, um, uh, and just expo exploring. You know, I'm one of these total information whores on the internet <laughs> where I just like. You're in the you, Wikipedia all day. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, I go down all the rabbit holes mm. and the hard ones, too, where it's like, okay. So this polymer does what, and how do I get it to okay. unfold the right way? And yeah, like, should I be looking into how polymers fold? Is this really <laughs> germane to my, you know? But I, I gotta know. I gotta know. And then there's this this new thing about you know quantum this or quantum that, and I've got to understand. Like I've got to try to wrap my head around that one more time. And uh, it's just like crack. Mm. Uh, and I I know it's doing something good for me. I know it's helping me form connections I wouldn't otherwise form. Mm -hmm. Helps me see ahead, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, I can also feel it poisoning my mind with just endless distractions. Um, so uh, one of the things I'm hopeful with a post-money system is that it will find some way to make use of the people like me that have ruined their minds. <laughs> Uh, on the internet with such disparate information. You want to sell the knowledge? That's your that's your trade point. I want to mine it, right? Mm. At the very at the very least, I want to study them and see just how pathetic their lives become, right? And as a cautionary tale, right? Okay. Um, and then, what small things can you tweak if you give them just a little bit more vitamin B twelve? How does their life change, right? Uh, at the very least, experiment on these on people like me, right? Try things, uh, see see if they affect the outcome, right? And that is intrinsically valuable. That is intrinsically scientifically valuable. If you get something out of that, you can scale it quick uh, to all all slacker kind, right? Um, this is such so a complex system that's going to have legal twists for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't make lawyers go away. It doesn't make courts go away. But the other thing I did mention about this is that to make this work, the system I'm describing, I, I talk about more in my vector money talk, is that you need cameras everywhere. Fucking everywhere. Oh, uh, that would recording go everything. well in America. And, yeah, right. Um, and, and you really have to get past this idea that privacy is a um, is a net ethical good mm. as, a, as opposed to a state of not having information, right? <laughs> um, so the big, the key twist I realized in my mind to make this all work is that we have to change our culture from information being a source of a source of responsibility as opposed to being a source of power, right? So if you have cameras everywhere and you're broadcasting the footage everywhere, then you have to have an agreement embedded within that footage, which says, if you want to watch this, uh, 
then you have to abide by these rules, right? Um, and if I don't abide by those rules, then I'm not being responsible for, with the information, and I'm in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. And you can see I'm in trouble because there's all the cameras on me, right? And I'm not abiding by the wishes ah, that you want of your footage, right? So it's essentially, what do you have to do to make society work if we're all in glass houses? Uh, now, I'm not describing something Orwellian where all the information goes to a central resource mm -hmm. and nobody can see what's going on up there except for the central resource. I'm talking about broadcast video everywhere and then essentially creating a meat space blockchain of video so that you can basically say, okay, well, Dave was on camera 12 and then he walked over to camera 13 and now we see on camera 14. Well, is that the real Dave? Well, let's trace back. Oh, yeah, that he was on camera 13 and camera 12 before and it's the same Dave that uh, verified he was Dave a second ago for this uh, for this other, you know, mm -hmm. setting up a doctor's plan or something. Oh, there's um, so many things I want to say that we're not going to say because I'm going to say what happens when it becomes illegal for Dave to leave his chair and go over to the couch because that's the law and Dave did it and we've got him on camera. Well, that's a bad law. So, so <laughs> th this is this is where um, you really have to think in terms of uh, like how we how we enact our laws right now. We do our laws totally punitively right now, which is every law comes with a term, the maximum term, maximum minimum term, and minimum maximum financial penalty. That's kind of it, right? The one exception is that you can do community service for some things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and But mostly it's money and time in jail. Now, there's nothing in the law that says if you help an old lady across the street, you get paid five bucks. There's no rewards for doing anything. There's only penalties. Right, or good Samaritan protections things. slightly so you don't get in trouble. Yes, and it's depending on commerce to provide all the motivations for the good we're going to do, right? Um, and maybe it shouldn't have trusted commerce, right? Maybe commerce is this old 1980s high school, high score kind of high school game designer mm -hmm. kind of uh, level shit. Uh, and, and maybe if you're going to get heavy-handed about the penalties, maybe you have a responsibility to get heavy-handed about the about the benefits of doing good, uh, right? And we don't have this concept in government right now. You can apply for grants to do good, but oh my God, is it painful? Mm -hmm. uh, you have to do a bunch of work for free. Apply for the grant. Hope you got these fumes of a grant. You've got to be partnered with someone with, in academia for most of these. Uh, and then if you get the grant, it's really about applying for the second grant, right? Uh, so it's this incredibly, unbelievably difficult. But if you want to go be a webcam girl, you can just sign up right now and, you know, take your clothes off. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on. What? What? Why, why is that so easy? And uh, and I, I, I can't, like, help a senior take the trash out. And, and who's like right next door and needs my help taking the trash out. Mm -hmm. um, why, why can't I be of service doing that? Uh, it's because you have to be kind of an asshole. Hey, I know you're doing a neighbor, but I want to charge you money because uh. this is an uncomfortable subject. Let's talk about this. Uh, and But there's this weird like karmic transition where you can't sell your neighbors on shit, um, but you really ought to be working with them because that really is what w working locally means, right? Um, but we have no system to monetize the value of working locally we, because, you know, our, the carbon cost of everything we're doing is completely externalized to the system, right? Uh, 
and that externalized cost gets gets exploited. Uh, this so that, small piece, I think you can achieve. This small piece. This small piece. The, the one about the fact that people should find rewards for doing things that you know are the right thing to do instead of penalized for doing the things that are not the right thing to oh, do. Yeah. I think that's a win you could maybe achieve in our current society. The rest of this, you gotta you got a hard road ahead of you. It'd be better to start over with a different country. I agree, actually. <laughs> and my, my theory is that the most likely candidate would be some war-torn country where well, look at Germany, why they have, I'm not suggesting Germany, but I'm saying, hey, it's interesting that Germany has ecological uh, ways of doing power, ways of doing a lot of things because they had to basically rebuild their entire infrastructure after some of the tragedies that happened there. It's easier sometimes to make something great when you start from nothing than take something and tear it down to rebuild. That's a good point. That's a good point. And we, and now we have a lot of inertia and our lobbying groups have thoroughly corrupted our our government system. So we've got all this inertia and all this corruption to fight against just to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard It's hard here. Um, I'm dragging but, you back by the back of your throat. But, but, uh, but here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. Before we lose, okay. what I'm thinking is right before, uh, where, where this will take hold is someplace like Afghanistan where Every once in a while, someone's coming in and going, ah, poof, right? And then you want to, what you want to find out is where the fuck did this guy come from? And so you look at the camera footage and trace it back to his hive of scum and villainy, right? And you can go <laughs> deal with that. So that's, I think they'll do it for security reasons first. Mm -hmm. And then they'll realize, well, wait a minute, holy shit. Um, we've got some of the most viral videos in the world because we happen to have cameras there when that fucking amazing shit happened. And then they start to realize, oh, my God, we are the stars of YouTube um, and we have more videos than everyone else. And we're finding ways to do things for each other without, by being able to skip money. Right? I think it's going to be them that are forced and cornered into this thing they don't want. And then they're going to you know, make lemonade out of lemons. I think they're the ones that are going to pioneer this. Done with this distraction. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Again, I need to have you on for like four more podcasts. Yeah. Um, okay, back back to the finances. You're saying when something didn't go well for you, um, you have all these other great outlets. Of oh, yeah. So it depends yes. on what, what the game and, and who you're talking about. For me, um, like for instance, well, let's just go through the games. Um, like uh, Abuse, I was very proud of, uh, uh, except for the frame rate. wasn't proud of that. But uh, uh, otherwise, very proud of it, and uh, we did fine. Uh, the the feeling after release was just one of, you know, what would you think? Sort of uh, pride, smaller pride, not the crazy like manic shit that mm -hmm. we were getting it. Uh, that was like over the top, like no, all right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but it was a more modest kind of like, hey, I feel good about this, and and I felt good about the fact that we shipped our first box in a box with a full T-shirt, a heavy stock poster. And the Linux, IRIX, and DOS versions all in the same box. I was particularly proud of that. Uh, Fulfillment's tough. That, that was fulfilling, fulfilling shit. Yeah. I'm very proud of that. Um, usefully proud? I don't know. Um, with with my new tree-hugging vegan, like, you know, <laughs> hippie mode, uh -huh. not proud, right? I can't be proud because I wasted a bunch of materials on, on something uh, that didn't need to be wasted on. But as a game, really liked it. Really liked Beaky's. 
um, but was very disappointed in myself. I was very proud of the game design and where we got the game. Oh my God, it's so fucking fun. It's a bubble pop game. Um, uh, but again, wrong platform. Uh, I saw that we were making this mistake with abuse. I couldn't convince my partners to switch platforms. It was a lot of work. Um, and so we just sort of bit the bullet, went down that path. And I thought, well, you know what? I can pull this out of the fire. I can, uh, I can do something clever with it. I can get some press for it. Yeah, <laughs> I could, I couldn't. Uh, oh. And uh, and that that just made me uh, down down on myself. Uh, just sort of like, oh well, you know, proud, very proud of the game, and very proud of, and um, I hope lifelong friends with uh, one of the authors, uh, Kevin. Uh, so is but, the uh, goal to just like make enough to make another game and just be able to kind of like a lot of times I'm, I'm kind of sick of games for pure entertainment. Okay. Right? Uh, so no, it's, that's not the goal anymore. Um, the goal before was to work on cool shit, right? Uh, uh, like I want to work on something cool that just turned me on as a programmer or I like the people I'm working with a lot. Um, that's, that's mostly it. One of those two things. Um, and then all the, all the jobs I don't get is working on the games that I really want to personally play, <laughs> right? So I've certainly applied for those jobs, but I can never get them. Uh, but they're they're not like uh, they're not like actiony games. Uh, they tend to be more strategic games. Okay. Uh, yeah, my, that's my kind of fair. But uh, you know, like I would love to work on Phoenix Point, but it's mm. being made in Bulgaria and. Uh, I my salary would be like half the team or something. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what you're talking about. You're talking yeah. about like five, five to ten guys that are indie guys, and this might be like their their second, third game. They're just trying to eat. They're going yeah. for like two years on ramen, you know, hoping exactly. hoping ramen that they make enough money, check. and then yeah. they're launching the same day as Borderlands Three. Oh my god! And yeah. you know, that, yeah. Do you I'll think you, it's different uh, now? because of that or do you do you feel like things are kind of that's always the way it's been and this is just now people report on these things more report on which things more um meaning that now people pay more attention to uh because we have the internet people are all talking now to each other so we, you have more information about what's going on versus what the reality of things might be the same as it was before now you just know about it or do you think it was different when you're launching a lot of these games compared to what developers are facing now um, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, Karateka is a more recent game, right? Um, I uh, initially came on to help just as essentially like, um, sort of like a representative, right? Uh, I was basically just trying to help raise money for it. Okay. Um, and then I got more involved in the design. Um, and then I got sort of, uh, roped into doing, um, roles I wasn't very good at, uh, in the project. And I got kind of bitter about that. I didn't like how it was being uh, managed. My my vision for it was quite was quite different. Mm. Uh, and by the end of it, I was I was a sad panda because um, I was so ex I was such a fan of the original game, and I really saw an opportunity to create like another cult classic. You know what I mean? Mm. And um, uh, just one of those things where you're like, I'm gonna spend the nickels like manhole covers, right? Let's just really see how far we can take this. And 
we just hooked up with a team that had just been freshly abused by AAA publishers. And so in their PTSD, they were just automatically negotiating for the biggest possible milestones mm -hmm. to get up front. And uh, they were in this sort of full-blown, like, generate all the art assets right out the door kind of mode. And I really was like, help, this is, you know, it's hard watching all this money disappear. Mm -hmm. uh, can we just go slow? Please <laughs> focus on the super fucking ugly game and make it super fun while super fucking ugly. And then we'll make it beautiful, you know? And uh, I, at that point, I think I was just coming off as like a boo-hooer, you know? Uh, ah. uh, bitching and moaning. And um, and by the end, I just, uh, I, I was, uh, I saw where it was going, right? I, I'll, I'll never forget. There was this conversation where, which I think everybody has in their games. Uh, this is very modern to this day, which is where people speculate, what's your Metacritic score going to be on your game? Oh, yes, right? yes. And uh, I'll never forget that conversation where uh, I came in with the low Metacritic score by a healthy 20 points. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and boy, did I sound like a you know, a pessimistic turd. Um, but I'll be damned if I wasn't right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, and it, it, by the end, it just so frustrated me. I very unprofessionally just quit in the middle of the, the PS3, like the second or third PS3 submission or something. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you rage quit. I rage quit yeah. uh, because I was I was turned into kind of a kind of I was doing sort of assistant producer type stuff of like sending in builds and checking with ratings and yeah that's you, the yeah. grunt work no one wants it's kind of grunt work no one wants it has to be done I was doing it poorly uh, yeah. and I it just it wasn't uh, it wasn't tickling my fancy um, so that that really burned me out uh, because it was such a beloved game and. In my case, and it came out, and I knew I really was not in love with this game. Um, and um, and I felt like I had just like you know how people felt about how shitty the Doom movie was. <laughs> I didn't see it. <laughs> uh, I didn't either. I won't because uh, I've heard it's that bad. And now there's a new one that's supposed to be even worse. Um, and but I know that feeling of like, hey, you took the classic and you shat all over it, right? And I felt like, oh, I didn't help shit all over the classic. Aww, I'm yeah. involved in that, right? Uh, and I felt quite responsible, you know, because I was out there stumping to make the project in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, it was all my idea to remake this thing. Um, I, was, I was the one leading for it. And so I felt really kind of complicit in the... Um, uh, the besmudging of a uh, classic IP. Uh, so that's another example of a post-game yeah. uh, thing where super down and mopey. Yeah. So how uh, do you how do you get over that? Just focus on something else. Yeah, I just get to jump to the next thing. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite games uh, was canceled. Uh, it was a math game, and <laughs> I was teaching. I was making a game to teach kids how to add, subtract, and multiply in multiple bases, base two up to base 10. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know they were doing math. 
Okay, until I'm interested in this tricking math game. They didn't know they were doing math until they learned the cheat codes. And the cheat codes, the cheat codes happen to be the number keys. Uh, <laughs> those are the cheat codes. Those are the cheat codes. And, um, and so you're, you're supposed to meticulously, uh, you essentially meticulously add by dragging these little cute robots. Okay. And stack up, uh, up until you have nine of them. But then when you hit the 10th robot, they all melt down and become a bigger robot in the next column. Oh, power, powers right? of 10. Yeah, that's the, that's the 10s case. Mm -hmm. or, or in the case of subtraction, this guy has to melt down and becomes, you know. That's uh, clever. Robots over here. So uh, you're mostly fucking with robots. And then suddenly you're like, oh my god, I can get a much better time bonus if I learn the cheat keys, uh, which is just hitting 7 instead of clicking 7 times. Mm -hmm. right? uh, and the best part of this game was that I had made it entirely in ASCII art. Right? <laughs> okay. And uh, as intentionally, mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't want to allow myself to make a game that was fun because it was pretty. Uh, I, it had to be fun while it was fucking ugly. Okay. Um, and so... I got a little girl addicted to fucking playing this prototype mm -hmm. um, who was cracking out on it and willingly mm -hmm. uh, learning math unconsciously uh, and then learning it consciously once she learned the cheat codes uh, and not even really knowing what she's doing before the fact she doesn't even realize she's learned how to add at great speed, right? Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, that gave me such a high, like, oh my god, not only did I make a fun game, but I helped a kid learn how to add. Yeah, it didn't uh, launch? No, that was canceled. Can't uh, you just make it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know cancel well, art, but you can't just release it like on mobile or something. Yeah, just make it, you fucker. Just uh, make you it. Know, I agree. <laughs> uh, and, um, but the thing is, I was being paid to make it, right? Oh, right. Uh, oh, well. And no one's paying me to make it now, so... If someone did, I would absolutely make it, right? Okay. Um, but that, it turns out making educational project products in the U.S. is unbelievably difficult. Yeah. Uh, and part of what you need to do that is a giant publisher. And we were working with a giant educational publisher. And the reason is because we have over 10,000 independent school districts. And they all have completely different buying programs. And they all want to buy things in these packages from K to 12. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Regulated, um, yeah. Yeah, and so you can't get paid well. You can't get um, uh, paid easily for doing anything that's educational. And if you do, you get shit, shit money for it usually. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can't afford to do anything with uh, many production values, right? But really, if you're getting paid shit for it, you should do something with no production value. Right, right? like your ASCII art. Zero, yeah. And then when you've demonstrated it's super fucking fun with no ASCII art, I mean, with no fancy art, then you could say, now let's make a pretty game out of this, yeah. right? Um, and uh, I think that's that's such a difficult way to raise money. Like, look at the ASCII art. And they're like, what? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, most money people can't look at that and believe that it'll turn yeah. into a money fountain, right? But they can uh, see the user testing. They can use what? They can see the user testing. And see the children yeah. go berserk and then say, oh, money. The, the, gift, the gifted ones can, right? Uh, and boy, I wish they were more common, right? But most money folks, uh, they're, they want to see the shiny thing, uh, right? 
uh, I, I'm sorry to say. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and the grant money is just like, you know, people are holding on to it with these vice grips and it's very little to begin with. Yeah. Uh, so it's a perfect example of like, you know, let it be known. If somebody wants to throw yeah, me in, I actually might have some to people this, to hook you up with. That yeah, yeah, I, I'm up for it. I'm up for all kinds of okay. things that are benevolent. Uh, but this is some of my uh, frustrations with uh, like. Anyway, so that, that's an example of a, a game that felt weird. Another game I worked on was Battle for Middle Earth, which is uh, the game that the uh, um, EA spouse lawsuit came from. If you remember oh. that. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, so I was just a contract coder on that. I, I came in late in the process, but boy, that team had fermented. Uh, it was, they were sour. Mm. Uh, they were, um, they were just feeding them meals. They wouldn't let them leave the campus. Um, that I was getting pressured yeah, to come in. Yeah, it sounded terrible. I mean, reading about all that stuff. It's terrible. That, that's and, when Crunch kind of came to light. Like surprise, yeah. this is the thing that happens. Yeah, I remember doing doing what I came there to do, you know, isolating where their their hiccups were, uh, and then they had these. Um, every night they'd have a meeting where they'd play a game, and uh, you could tell that originally the meeting was supposed to be everybody plays the game at night and then gives feedback on it. Mm -hmm. But what it had turned into after all this crunch was everybody plays a game. Please, no one say there's nothing wrong with the game because it's got too many bugs on their bug list and there's other fuck, right? Uh, so I remember coming in there and going, hey, <laughs> you're right. this is those issues. Oh, no. And, and they're like, you could fuck off and die, <laughs> is, is, is the, the look they were giving me, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is not my job. Uh, I have stepped into something here. And, uh, and just, you know, the... For fun, the coders would take those super thick rubber bands and they would just beam each other at point blank in okay. the back. So, so aggression, hostility relievers. So on the other side of that game, I'll bet you there was mostly relief, right? Yeah. It was mostly like, I just want to go crawl in a crypt and die now, right? Yeah. Do you think uh, that's like a AAA thing? I mean, I, I mean, indies obviously do crunch too, but it's probably a different experience when you're kind of it locked in. Yeah, it depends on the company, right? So some of them are really abusive about it. Some of them are like abusive in a really nuanced way, right? So for instance, mm. I I can't say it was abusive at all. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't give me any kind of shit. Um, but I'm working with Carmack and I'm going to look like shit, no problem, right? Uh, by contrast, uh. right? So you could say this is sort of a cruelty to animals thing, like you... You shouldn't put hamsters in the snake cage, right? Because the hamster <laughs> will be very will be very nervous, right? Uh -huh. uh, so, so that, but but that's not like a, but the abusive stuff, um, that that I think really depends on the management of the company. And I've seen it in tiny companies. I've seen it in giant companies. Okay. Uh, I've seen it with like sexual assault overtones, uh -huh. and oh, there's all kinds of horrible shit people do to each other. Um, but I don't know. Those are some of the different uh, experiences I've had post-gamus. Okay. Do you have any advice for someone who's about to launch their first game and what they should expect on the emotional roller coaster that is, surprise, your game is live? Yes. <laughs> are you going to tell me? I am.
my advice is uh, don't do early access. Oh, okay. Interesting. Especially for like resource management games. Yeah. Um, get, show it to people that are really actively helping you make it better. <clears throat> Stick with those. Folks. Okay. Because of the committee and, aspect, do you think you're going to lose something in, in the committee uh, feedback? No, because uh, you're going to lose something in sales, right? So you oh, get, yes, yes, that's true. You get one big burst of press uh, is, is what you can count on for a new game, mm -hmm. right? If your game is amazingly fucking awesome, you might get more than one burst of it, right? Um, but most games, they get one shot. And early access is your one shot if that's the shot you're taking. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't recommend people do it that way, even though it sounds very appealing. Or if you do it that way, just be ready to call that your final release. Call it early access because you want them to feel like it's an early access, mm -hmm. but be prepared to make all of your money in this one launch. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's where you should set your expectations is on making the money on your first launch. And you should plan for that, and you should. I think you should test privately until you do that. Mm -hmm. um, I do not think you should announce the game will be coming out in six months. Uh, the ah. game will be coming out at this time. I think you should stay very fucking quiet, and you should test it, and you should test it, and you should test it. And you should wait until it's becoming a problem at work because people are wasting time playing it. Um, and that's when you should go public. Um, and not before. That's mm -hmm. uh, and as long as you can stand keeping the game ugly, keep it ugly. It's a discipline most people don't have. Mm -hmm. But if you have it, if you can make a game ugly, then you can be more agile than everybody else. Because if something about your game isn't fun, you aren't trapped by your animations. You aren't trapped by your sound effects. Uh -huh. um, you can change anything. And uh, and if and if jumping further farther is more fun, doesn't match your animation. There's no animations to match. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Farther is more fun. So now after you've completely nailed the perfect jump, right? Now you can make the perfect jump animation, right? Um, and that and you can't nail that perfect. In my my belief is you can't nail that perfect design balance um, with the heaviness. Of, of art assets. Um, you can't hit that maximum. You can hit a local maximum, but you can't hit the global mm -hmm. maximum. So that would be uh, my tip. And then um, I would also say, it's more about prep than what to do afterwards. It's like, the other thing I would say is before you even get involved with the game, ask how you're gonna reach its players, right? Uh, these days, of course, I would ask, do we need another fucking game? Right. First, oh, okay. another, like, should we, we make another fucking? Do we need another fucking game mm -hmm. just for entertainment? Right. Odds are, you know, you could play a new game every day for the rest of your life and never want for badass fun game. Right. <laughs> yeah, my Steam that's, library that's a, reflects this. That's a fact. Library yeah. So, do we need another game? So, uh, if if your answer is no, we don't need another game, then I would ask, well, what can you make that's as cool as a game that we do need? Right, mm -hmm. and that's a question I don't think enough people are asking right now. But I wish more people. Now, uh, I'm saying his name wrong. It's spelled John Krajewski, but I, I believe it's spelled Krajinski or something like that. But uh, he's the maker of Eco, um, and that's the game 
that teaches you how to simulate a world, sort of like Minecraft, but there's a meteor coming and in a month, everything's gonna be destroyed. So you gotta be able to build civilization and build a meteor defense system together with all these other people in this world to blow the meteor out of the sky before it's all obliterated, yeah. right? And it's all about not squandering the resources, managing your carbon footprint, figuring out a, a system of government. Uh, it's all the shit for world building that we kind of need right now mm -hmm. to survive the Holocene, right? So he's doing it, right? But you can count the number of people doing that on one hand right now. Um, and uh, he's not making nearly enough money. I know, I know it's out there selling, uh, but God damn it, he should be bigger than Notch, right? Yeah, well, that's uh, why, though. I mean, that's why people are making the same thing that other people have made because that person made money and they want to make money because it's their job. Yeah, and uh, it's the wrong reason. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so that, those would be my big questions. Like, do we need this? Um, have you thought about how to reach the people that need this, right? Um, uh, I think too many people make games with the build it and they will come theory, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, that is not necessarily the case with some absolutely gifted developers. It totally is. But uh, I'm just speaking from the experience of working as a mere mortal game developer, right? Uh, the mere mortals, um, you know, hits are not guaranteed. And uh, you have to really think through your high concept. You really have to think through your title. You really have to think through your branding. And boy, are none of these things easy. And boy, does everybody seem to take them, you know, more lightly than they should. Mm -hmm. uh, those would be my big suggestions. Make it ugly and fun, uh, one release. Uh, uh, you know, uh, is it ask if it's needed and then ask how you reach the people that need it. And then you'll be happy. <laughs> you cannot put a price on happiness. Yeah, because then even if it's a financial failure, you'll be like, you know what? I got this thing that people needed into the hands of the people who needed it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and odds are you're going to be more proud of it. Awesome. All right, so here's my my episodic pitch that I've been saying for the last few, because I'm speaking at the International Gaming Summit, which is October 9th and 10th, which is the first mental health gaming summit there's ever been. And the things that the different panels that are up there are kind of talking about depression. Where is this? It is in Toronto. Cool. And right now, um, there's an interesting dynamic of a lot of women wanting to speak and share their experience as developers, as people in the industry, and a lot of men who don't. And, <laughs> and considering, we, I just had um, to take this uh, director on and she was talking, Eve was talking about how one in two people have, you know, a, a mental illness of some sort and some severity. And it's interesting to me that dudes don't want to talk about it. So this is my kind of, hey, people that are listeners, people that are hearing the stuff that we're talking about, that, that is very normal, especially if you're in gaming, to feel these up and downs and you're telling me about things you felt too, very normal. Um, consider coming to speak and applying for a panel because there's still options to do it. And uh, especially if you live in Toronto, so you don't have to right? fly in like a carbon wasteful little turd. <laughs> Thanks for the help, Pishy Dave. My pleasure. <laughs> uh, and if you need anybody over Skype, I'd be happy to help with that. Interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, suffered from chronic depression my whole life. Uh, and I treat it with uh, sunshine 
walking barefoot. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, working with people I like and uh, diet. Okay. Um, but uh, I was given the offer of drugs, but the way it was pitched to me was like, you know that roller coaster of highs and lows you yeah, get? Yeah, yeah. You just sort of shaved off on the highs and lows. I was like, oh, I like the highs. Yeah, the see, highs that's the low. pitch I heard too. I'm like, well, that high is kind of something most people don't experience. Yeah, and mm. I, I like, uh, I've noticed that creatively, right? Typically, it's when I'm on my low that something sparks creatively. And then that creates that creation brings me to my high, um, mm. and then uh, and then it spoils and goes rotten. And goes, <laughs> <laughs> well, see there, you know yourself I'll, here. I'll, though. You know how I'll read something about like... Trump and then. Oh and, well. Uh, the so, nation's uh, got that low. Huh? That's the nation also experiences yeah. low. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're wrapping up the episode there. Uh, it was awesome to have Dave on. Thanked him profusely. And I'm sure we'll have him on the show again to talk about other topics besides this one. But if you would like to come over to Canada or if you're close to Canada and want to come to the uh, Mental Health Summit, which is on October 9th and 10th and see me speak and interact with some other awesome developers and people in the gaming industry, go to TIGS.ca, TIGS, and come join us.